Right now, the policymakers up in Sacramento don't trust the cities to do their job, and so now they're using the stick or lawsuits to force us into complying with what they have vision for California. And so now the developers can come in and actually bypass the whole city laws, right? That's right. We're doing this for affordable, but then when you really look into it, the rents for these places are really high. You start off already with very expensive land. If you were to be a developer and purchase really expensive land and then you try to do low-income housing, it never pencils out. It would never work. My guest today is John Cruikshank, mayor of Rancho Palos Verdes in Los Angeles County. Today, he'll discuss the challenges facing California cities regarding the state housing mandate and the potential problems of government overreach when it comes to solving housing affordability. Things weren't as serious. They just knew how to laugh and just have a little bit more fun. And there wasn't this whole sense of worrying about every word you say about something. Do you think we're missing that in LA? It's intimidating. I think being yourselves every day for everyone is important. So you think this stiffness has <laughs> caused people to become disconnected from the leaders? I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. John, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. This is terrific. John, one of the questions I have, we understand we've been covering that there is, there is a change, there's a shift in the way we're planning for housing in California. It's becoming more apartments. Also, it's not affordable here. It's very hard for young people and for anybody to afford housing now in California. But these units that we see, they're usually all are luxury. We're told we're doing this for affordable because it's going to become affordable, but then when you really look into it, the rents for these places are really high, and if they're for sale, there's really high fees to buy them and there's high HOAs. Is that happening in your city as well? Sacramento, uh, several years ago, started this whole trend of forcing cities to have a number of housing units in each one of the cities. In a city like Rancho Palos Verdes, where we're completely built out, we've had 42,000 residents for the last 50 years and really haven't grown at all. They haven't come to us and asked us, well, how are you going to fit this six or 700 more housing units in your city when most of our city is open space? We have about 1,500 acres of open space. And uh, interestingly enough, we actually had to ask the people from Sacramento to come down and take a look at our city so that they can see the real issue. And I think they learned a lot by doing that. So I think that's one of the things. We start talking more about these issues and we could start finding better solutions. So 600 some houses, what does that mean to your city? How many houses do you have? And right, so uh, we have 42,000 residents, but we have roughly 16,000 housing units or houses mostly. We're m mostly a single family residence. We do have some apartments and condominiums. So when they say that you are required to have this 650 uh, housing units, these are for people that are moderate to low income housing. But if you're a developer and you're building a project, that's not the full equation. In other words, you might build 10 units and two of those units might be that moderate to low income. So if you start doing the math, if 20% of your project is 650, then you gotta take that number and basically you're talking about five, 6,000 housing units built, and that's just an impossibility in a place like Rancho Palos Verdes. So the expectation is for you guys to grow your city by a third, right, of new homes, right? Well, the expectation is, is that 
you have people that are struggling to uh, afford housing, whether it be a new home or rent, and it is a struggle for people, and I think we all agree to that. But in order to meet that demand, they're trying to proportionally put it in every one of the cities, and some cities just don't have the capacity to build that many units. Now, there are other cities that could build much more, and then there's other areas like our Inland Empire and, and other areas that have a lot more open space that can certainly accommodate that. So I think instead of allowing the free market to work and allow developers to find places where people want to live and can afford to live, unfortunately Sacramento is trying to pick and choose who is being forced to have these housing units. So that's the part that gets frustrating as a mayor of a city is that I don't get a lot of communication from Sacramento coming to me and asking me, how are we going to accomplish this? It's basically like an uh, unfunded state mandate they always talk about. They say, you must do this, but you figure out how to pay for it as well. It would be great if Sacramento could come to us with solutions. Tell us how we're going to build these 650 housing units. Some cities are getting sued by the state. Would you guys face that as well? Well, so right now our city is uh, still working to get our housing element in our general plan approved, which means we're in a situation now where we're out of compliance with the state mandates. And so that means that builders can come in and use what they call a builder's remedy to be able to bypass the local zoning and building codes to be able to build whatever they want. And so in our city, we do have some builder's remedy applications in our city, which has put many of our residents at a high level of distress. We have not been sued yet. Actually, our city sued the state for SB 9, which is basically splitting the lots up into multiple lots. And so we believe that that's something that's going to create a lot of pressure. And it, it's something that the state, we believe, didn't have the constitutional right to do. So we've sued the state, um, but ultimately, we would want to work with the state. We don't like to use lawsuits. Lawsuits are always the last thing that we want to go to. But part of the problem is, is that Sacramento doesn't trust the cities anymore. So you've got this uh, basic friction between the cities and local control and the state of California where California knows best sort of attitude. So that's where we are right now. So why don't they trust the cities? Is it because you guys don't, they feel that you guys don't want to have the development, they don't want to have new homes? Yes. Yes, and all of the above. When I first got on the city council in Rancho Palos Verdes, uh, we always take trips up to Sacramento to meet our, our legislators and to meet the Senate and, and Assembly members. And one of our first meetings was with Senator Scott Weiner, who, as you know, is one of the authors of many of the laws that have, housing laws that have passed over the last several years. And we asked him about this. Why is it that you're trying to have these laws passed? And he said, look, you cities had the opportunity, we told you we needed housing, and you guys failed. We don't trust you anymore. And so that's it. Right now, the policymakers up in Sacramento don't trust the cities to do their job, and so now they're using the stick, or lawsuits, to force us into complying with what they have vision for California. And so now the developers can come in and actually bypass the whole city laws, right? That's right. Right, so um, you have situations where cities only have so much infrastructure, water, sewer, power. They only have so many roads that come in and out that are used not just to get in and out, but if there's an emergency situation, 
like in our city where we're in a very high fire severity zone where the potential for fires is great. We also have landslides in our city. Um, and of course, every city in California is subject to earthquakes. And so if you have a safety situation like that, but you only have so many roads, but you're cramming a lot more people into those areas, then the level of safety concerns go, goes way up as well. And we put people in a situation where they might not be able to evacuate in time. Now, from your perspective, there is this housing affordability is a big issue, right? You know, yes, it is. What do you guys think of that? You know, I, I know that a lot of the cities don't want the development, but what is the solution? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to say something that maybe isn't always the most politically correct, but honestly, the market can only bear so many people. And, and I think back to when I got out of college, I didn't have a lot of money. My parents had their house, but I was told, you got to go find your own way. And so I rented small apartments. And even when I first got married, my wife and I, we were in a very small apartment, third floor over a McDonald's. We used to hear people ordering Big Macs and fries. And, you know, it might not have been the most luxurious place, but honestly, it was a start. And then when we had enough money to be able to afford a, a townhome in North Redondo Beach, we did so. And we worked our way up to where eventually we could afford a place like Rancho Palos Verdes. And so, and Rancho Palos Verdes is just one of many cities in California that people want to be in. In and around us, there is more affordable places. And also the Inland Empire, you know, there's more housing out there, it's less expensive. And I believe that we all need to work our way up the ladder. So when we talk about affordability, yes, it is unaffordable to live right off the bat in a place like Rancho Palos Verdes. But why is that something that should be a knock against our city? I mean, this is a place where people have worked their whole lives to get to. And so um, I know a lot of people say, well, not in my backyard, people, the NIMBY, you're a NIMBY. Well, I guess I kind of am. Now, there are a lot of things that go into affordability, and it's not just the cost of land. One, one thing that takes away from our pocketbook is inflation, and inflation is a killer. That's one thing that we should all be fighting against right now because if you were to reduce down inflation, people would have more money to be able to afford housing. But I think it becomes a more acute here in Los Angeles County because you, you travel to other places and you see that uh, gasoline prices, just for us to get around, to get to our jobs and to go see our family and to travel is so much more expensive here in California. The cost of gas is always a dollar or so more a gallon here. And so that's the type of inflation that works its way up to everything because you need that fuel. And if the fuel prices are higher, then trucking costs become much more. The, they talk a lot about these living wages. Um, forget about the living wages for a second. The problem is, is that young people need a certain amount of money to live. And so if you as an employer are not willing to offer up a salary that they're willing to take, they're not going to take it. So the upward pressure on prices for employees goes up the cost of business goes up and every business that has to pay more to their employees, their customers have to pay that cost. So whether it be at the grocery store, whether it be fast food, restaurants, whatever, all the things that we purchase, all these prices keep going up. And so we're killing ourselves here in California and certainly in Los Angeles County with this inflation pressure on all of us. It's making our lives a lot more miserable. And, and so that's one thing that we all should be focusing on is how do we bring down inflation. Now, do you think this is doable? Because a lot of these things are macro. People think like economy, you know, inflation. This is a macro issue. It, it's not a regional. Is this, is this 
possible to fix this regionally? I believe it is. You look at some of the things where competition really does flourish, such as our computers. The cost of computers, even though computers get greater and greater in their capacity and their ability to compute and do the things that we need, but the prices come down, and that's because of competition and because of technology. We have an opportunity for every different market sector that we're in, where you have the free market being able to thrive, and, and here's a good example. If you own the apartment building on one side of the street, I owned it on this side of the street, and you decided, you know, I can afford to lower the, the rent down to, let's say, 1500 a month, and I'm still at 3000 And where do you think that people are going to start going when they, they're looking at the same sort of scenario? They're going to go, and the, your, your building's going to be full of people, and mine's going to start to get empty. That's because of free market competition. You're offering something that's very similar, and that's where prices start to come down. So the more competition you have, and the more free market systems we have, prices will come down on all levels of the market. So that's why inflation can be beat. It was huge back in the 1970s and we're able to beat that back and enjoyed very low inflation for many, many years. And it's not until the last few years that we've seen this real spike in inflation again. And so the amount of misery that's out there has increased quite a bit. And so that's why I believe inflation is the number one problem in Los Angeles County. And do you think we have kind of taken the free market out? How, can you give us some examples of how it's... 100%. Example is eviction moratoriums. So basically you're forcing deadbeat uh, tenants to stay in these units and our mom and pop investors that take their life savings to buy these apartment buildings are being forced to hold tenants in a time where their inflation goes up, their property taxes never go down, They've got to still pay all their bills, but they have tenants that aren't paying their bills, so th and they can't get rid of them. And because of rent controls, they can't raise their prices enough to counteract the cost. So now the cost of them doing business is above what they actually bring in, so they're losing money. So this creates a huge problem in imbalance, too. So people that own these buildings are looking for ways to leave California. So essentially, we are having less of those housing or less of them? We have less of them because less people are willing to invest in these buildings or to build new buildings because they know they're going to be put under rent controls or eviction moratoriums. So why would you invest that? So when Governor Newsom said that we want to build, I think he said two and a half million new housing units when he started as governor. I think it was three and a half. Yeah. Three and a half million, yeah. right. So he's fallen well short of that because the government can't force people to build these homes. It's got to be the market that dictates that. It's got to be developers that say, that's worthwhile investment for me to do. And a lot of these investments are not just huge corporations that we always villainize. A lot of these investors are actually small investors or groups of investors that pool their money together to buy these properties and do this. And so it's fallen well short because they know it's not worth the investment. This episode is sponsored by Midas Gold Group. Do you feel the bills are getting higher and higher every time you check out the grocery store? Do you feel your monthly discretionary money has decreased, although your income increases yearly? Inflation is eating away at your wealth. Digital wallets and central banks' digital currencies are destroying financial privatization also. Only gold and silver are constitutional forms of money. Our privacy was to be protected against unlawful watch and seizure. Midas Gold Group will help you 
take control of your finances and protect your wealth and your privacy. Pulling money out of the questionable banking and investment system is the way to privatize your finances as the elite push us towards digital wallets and central bank digital currency. Protect your wealth with real money. Deal with the best at Midas Gold Group, a proud America first company. MidasGoldGroup.com. Click on the link below and check them out. Now let's go back to the interview. And what kind of solutions are you guys looking for? Well, what's interesting in our city, and, and like I mentioned, we have a lot of open space, and so there isn't a lot of buildable land. In fact, very few lots are still available for any type of new development. But what we do have is 25% of our population are senior citizens, which means that you have a lot of empty nesters or widows or widowers that live in these large homes. And so, um, but the reason that they don't leave these homes, of course, is because they have the proper protection of Prop 13. And so if they were to move and change uh, their residence, then first of all, they're potentially leaving their family and also they would potentially have to pay higher taxes. So it's hard for people to, to leave those large homes, but you have these large homes that have one or two people in them, they have three or four bedrooms. So what we could potentially look at is a few things. First of all, I like the idea of having our healthcare workers or people that take care of work that's in and around our community being able to rent ADUs or junior ADUs within these large homes. And also you could have group homes where you can have maybe five or six seniors living in a big house with a registered nurse that's there taking care of them. So you're not changing the character of the community, but you're at least getting our seniors to live together in an area where they can have the proper treatment they need if they were to have an incident during the day or night, but it doesn't break their bank by having to pay for a full-time nurse or doctor to be there, uh, where we all know that's very expensive. So there's different alternatives that could be found, and it's not a one-size-fits-all in California. And the only reason that the solutions I mentioned to you, I think, are appropriate is that we don't want to change the character of our city because we've worked for 50 years to preserve what we have. Um, but I think that there's a lot of seniors that, who are on a fixed income that are getting hurt by inflation, probably could live more comfortably and more financially secure if they did live in senior group homes where they had others to help kind of pay for, spread the bill around to the nurses and other uh, amenities. And so uh, I don't think that our city has that need, but then there's other cities like the city of Vernon where there's only 200, 250 residents and they have a $140 million budget because it's all business. And they literally want to build three or 4,000 units to be able to bring more residents in. So every city has its own un unique needs, but I don't believe Sacramento should be the one trying to move the chess pieces around. I believe individual cities should find a way to work together with Sacramento to find where the housing needs are and where the market will take those. John, you grew up in LA, right? Has it changed much? quite a bit. So uh, I am a third generation Los Angeles County resident. I grew up in El Segundo. I lived in the South Bay my entire life. And uh, I would say it's changed a lot. So of course people remember the latchkey kids and growing up in the 70s and, and 80s and, and being able to, you know, your parents basically telling you just to come back at dinner time. So you would leave in the morning and come back when, the, when it got dark. And uh, they didn't lock their doors. Uh, we felt safe uh, out on the streets, and, and so things have changed quite a bit. 
Uh, unfortunately, public safety is a huge concern now, much more than I believe it's ever been. Well, and, and I wouldn't say everything's gotten worse. Honestly, some things have gotten better. Uh, back then, I remember you could almost take a knife and cut through the brown smog that was up in the air. So there's certainly things that have gotten better, but it, it certainly has changed. Um, I feel like uh, the sense of community, people still want that, but I feel like there's a lot more pressure on people now. And uh, the reliance on government, I think, has gotten greater. And of course, the homelessness problem is something that we look at. And when I was growing up, of course, there was Skid Row, and we knew they were homeless. And you always felt bad for people that were down on their luck. But it's exploded to the point where it's more than just people down on their luck. And, and so there's a lot of issues out there that I think have changed the character of LA County. So what was it like back then? Can you go into more depth on how it was? You know, I'm going to talk about when I was a kid because I always recall how great of a city El Segundo is and was and for me. And, um, you know, my, my dad, of course, was on the, uh, the board of both the Little League and, and the higher baseball, the Babe Ruth. And, and uh, it was a sense of community. I tell people about this, they're like, how does this happen? There used to be this tile factory that was demolished in our city. And nowadays, if you had something like a demolition site with a, or a construction site, you would have a fence around it and you wouldn't dare let the kids play in there. Well, there was this tile factory in El Segundo, and I know my El Segundo friends will hear this and laugh. We could ride our bike down into this big mounds of tile and throw it at each other, and <laughs> that was so unsafe. <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, we didn't think about those things about getting hurt, and we got hurt, certainly, and we would do stupid things, but you learn from those mistakes. And I think that I think we're trying to protect ourselves too much now. I think we need to allow our youth to be able to go out and not necessarily go get hurt, and we don't want to do stupid things, but I think we worry too much about the human spirit, and the human spirit is strong. Uh, I think it's great when, when we can go out and maybe have a little bit of danger around us and not always be cuddled and protected by our parents. I think, I think that's important. I think we should get back to trusting the people around us. And uh, what were the people in the community like? You know, I mean, it's funny because I remember uh, some of the things that my parents would do. They'd have these events where we'd go, we'd have bowling tournaments, and they'd give you huge trophies for having the worst score. Actually, I took home one of those. I had like such a terrible score, and I got this huge trophy, and all the parents were laughing at me, and it kind of humbled you. And nowadays, you wouldn't laugh at it. You'd probably give a big trophy just because they participated. But back then, it's like it was a joke. Like, you did so poorly, here's a big trophy for you. And uh, they would do these uh, different uh, uh, fundraisers for the Little League where the parents would dress up in goofy costumes and, and sing and just have fun. And I think people were just, they just knew how to laugh at themselves more and just have a little bit more fun. And, and it, things weren't as serious. Like, there wasn't this whole sense of worrying about every word you say about something because people w didn't take themselves so seriously. Like, community was important. Learning to laugh together and have a good time and support each other was super important. And I believe that's what people want now, too. And you can feel it that people around you, they're still kind. People are still wonderful. Uh, but I think sometimes we have a lot of outside pressures that don't allow us to, to kind of just live our lives more freely. So you think people are feeling that they're judged a lot? A absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you feel that way. You've got a, a show that people see all over the world. And, and you know, I'm sure that uh, we, 
some of your guests might, I'm not one of those guests, of course, that's, you know, gets on here and starts cussing and swearing, but, you know, I'm sure that colorful guests like that are fun too. And uh, I think that we unfortunately do have to watch ourselves too much. Now, I'm not saying that we should be rude to other people and, and we should respect everyone, whatever they look like or smell like or, or that. It doesn't matter, right? It's, we're all human beings and we should treat each other uh, equally. But I think sometimes we, we worry too much about you know, what, what the perception is. And sometimes just like when you told me before we started the show, just be yourself, I appreciated that. Like, I think being yourselves every day for everyone is important. Do you think we're missing that in LA? I do. I do. I think that I think that we're all kind of wound up too too much. I think we need to learn to laugh at ourselves a lot more. Um, I think that uh, happiness is the greatest thing we have. That's the greatest gift we have is to be able to laugh at ourselves, because I mean it's just who we are. Like you don't have to be perfect all the time. Like we could just have fun and and show other people that we could be humbled and and it's okay to be embarrassed once in a while and it's okay to put yourself out there and. And uh, let people judge you and, and maybe sometimes let them laugh at you and, and appreciate that. Don't get angry about it. What do you think that would do to the culture of L.A.? So it's, do you think it will have a big impact on solving some of our problems that we have now? I do. I feel like when you watch a lot of these different government agencies and council meetings and, and they just they feel way too serious. And, and yes, the, the responsibility that elected officials have is very, it's a very serious business. And I, I won't take away from that part of it. So in our city of Rancho Palos Verdes, I have, to, I have to give ourselves some real serious applause because we have five council members that have learned to appreciate each other. We're very different in our thought process, but we've learned to laugh at each other. And I'm, one, I'm not the silliest. We actually have one council member uh, and I'm not going to say his name. You have to watch our council meeting to appreciate it. But he says the most outrageous things sometimes. And honestly, I appreciate that. Like, he grew up in the city of Rancho Palos Verdes, and he just understands how people are, and he knows the history of things. And, and he has no problem uh, saying things that maybe don't, they're self-deprecating. Uh, and, and, but it, I think he also allows people to realize that yes, things are serious, but also we're imperfect humans and that we're up here. And I think it allows when, when people come up to speak to us, it, because of the lightheartedness of, of many of our comments, I think it makes people feel more comfortable to tell us honestly about their opinions because the best way for us to govern any type of community is to be able to listen. I have 42,000 people that live in Rancho Palos Verdes. There's only five of us on the city council. The five of us can't possibly know what the 42,000 people are thinking. The only way we can learn and make the best decision is to hear from them. And so I think by laughing at ourselves and allowing a little bit of brevity, I think it allows governments to function better and, and make people feel more welcome to tell us their real thoughts because it's the real thoughts and it's the diversity of thought that helps us make better decisions. So you think this uh, stiffness and putting on a show has <laughs> caused people to become disconnected from their leaders? In well, a it's, in, it's intimidating. I'm on a city council, but sometimes I go and I speak to other city councils and honestly, 
I get intimidated by speaking in front of other city councils because of the way they're, it's like they're like sitting up, they're like wax figures in a museum. And you, f you feel like, wow, I, I, I'm, a, I'm uncomfortable to say what I'm about to say, even though what I'm saying is just, you know, whatever my feelings are, just because you feel like you're being judged, like you're, like you're in front of some jury and you're on a murder trial or something. And I would say that let's lower our guards a little bit and allow people to just come up and be relaxed. When people come up to the podium, we always, all five of us, say good evening. And if we know their name, we'll say their name. And we welcome them. And we want to hear from them. And, and uh, if they talk a little longer than the three minutes and, and they have their thoughts, we don't just shut them off and say next speaker. We let them finish their thoughts because sometimes after that three minutes, they say the punchline, which is the most important thing. So yeah, I believe that if we were to allow m more lightness into our government chambers, I think that we would all benefit from that in Los Angeles County. Do you think this stiffness uh, is actually impacting the culture of LA? I do. We're the melting pot, right? I mean, we all have different cultures and we melt in this pot into what they call the United States of America. And, and that, that's what's made our country great is that you have individuals and you have individual cultures and people that have these amazing things that they bring from different countries all over the world. And, and we share it with one another. And, and I think you remember we had potlucks when we were a kid and you know you, you you wouldn't know it was in that you know you'd lift the pot up and like oh what's in that thing and that smells like it's really spicy but I'm going to try some anyhow and you would just try all these different things we don't want any prejudice we don't want to be prejudged and but when you go in front of bodies of uh, boards or commissions or councils or or supervisors or whatever it is and you feel like your time's limited and they're not paying attention, they're looking at their phones while you're talking, they're talking to each other. All that stuff changes our culture. And I think if we were to allow everyone the opportunity to freely speak and, and our boards would learn more, if they'd just listen more. I always say we have two ears and one mouth, let's use them proportionally. You know, the, if we would just listen more and learn more, my gosh, think how much better things would be. I mean, unfortunately, and what I love about Epoch Times is, is that you try to take partisanship out. I truly believe that partisanship is destroying our country and our state. And I believe that we should take R's and D's off our names on the ballot, because I think we're losing the essence of who the people are and we're just voting based on some false label that really doesn't mean anything. And unfortunately, once people get elected, then they start getting their marching orders from these parties as well. And that's the last place you need marching orders from. You need to get your marching orders from the people that elected you and the people that rep you represent. It doesn't matter what party they're in. And you know, maybe sometimes the people that seem the craziest, then when they come up to talk, they might have the best idea. And honestly, I've learned some things from people that you, they say outlandish things. And then you think about it, you're like, gosh, that was awesome what they just said. I like that idea and I'm, I, I'm gonna follow that because that's something, that's someone that said it outlandishly, but they felt free to do it. And we need more freedom to be speaking like that. Before we continue, we would like to thank Shen Yun for sponsoring this channel. I lived in China for two years and experienced two different Chinas. One is the China we know now, unfortunately with communism. 
And the other is ancient Chinese culture with 5,000 years of history, strong values, ethics and morality that has been lost. Shenyun Performing Arts is reviving this 5,000 years of Chinese traditional culture. It takes you back in time to magical world of ancient China with a unique blend of brilliant dancing, beautiful costumes, and legends coming to life. Go to shenyun.com to find out the schedule and theater information. It's a lifetime experience you don't want to miss. Book your tickets today. Now let's go back to the interview. You have decided to run for the supervisors. I know, imagine right? that. Does the county supervisors, do they have a, a big impact on how the county is run? They have a huge impact on how our counties run. So you have five people that represent almost 10 million residents in Los Angeles County, 88 cities. They control now a $47 billion budget, and there's 115,000 people that work for Los Angeles County. And so, and each supervisor is also considered the mayor of all the unincorporated areas that are within their district, and there's five districts. So yes, I've decided to run for that. I feel that there's an opportunity to bring some of the freshness that we have in our city of Rancho Palos Verdes to the entire county where we've learned to listen to people and to find the right balance of government uh, for the taxpayer dollar. There's five supervisors in LA County. Do you think you have much of an impact? And Alex Villanova was here and you guys are running for the same seat. Hopefully we can get you together for a debate. You're running for Janice Khan's seat, right? Yeah, that's correct. So it's the fourth district and there's three of us that have qualified for the ballot and, and uh, the former sheriff, Alex Villanova, was one of them. And honestly, he's been very cordial. Um, him and I both agreed. We, we spoke at a, an event together in Duarte about a month and a half ago, and uh, we both agreed that any time that he or I uh, get invited to a forum or a debate or whatever it is where we can get all three of us together, he's agreed that he would make time to do that, and I've done the same. So you probably will not have much trouble having him or I join the show. Of course, having the current supervisor join, she's an incumbent, a longtime incumbent, and so I no guarantees with that, of course. In but we would love to facilitate that. But in terms of having one seat out of the five, and I ask Alex this question, do you think there's a lot of impact in that? I think I'm going to have a lot of impact. So here, here's a few ideas that People always ask me, well, what are you going to do first? And I said, well, the first thing I'm going to do is have an opportunity to sit down with the uh, county CEO, which most people don't know who that is, Fezia Davenport, and uh, she oversees all the departments. So I'm going to sit down with her. and She oversees the 115,000 people. 115,000 people. So you can see her responsibility. And I'm not sure if many people of your viewers even knew we had a CEO or what her name was. Which is fine. I mean, I think that it's great that the people that run organizations stay behind the scenes anyhow. The, the supervisors are the ones that need to listen to the voters. And, and so how does one person of five make a difference? Well, here, here's the thing is that right now you've got five supervisors that are basically career politicians. They've never signed the front of a paycheck. They've never taken the risk of running a business. And honestly, four of the five are pretty much think in the same mindset in terms of their vote. And then the fifth, uh, Catherine Barger, she, she's a little more independent, but as one vote, it's difficult for her. Uh, but what you can do as a supervisor is, first of all, you get a chance to meet the other four supervisors and learn what's important to them. You get a chance to tell them about myself. 
And then you start to build uh, thought and consensus around important issues. And so we do have many important issues. And uh, I want to make sure that people all throughout LA County understand how these departments work. I know a lot of people have questioned the elections. They've talked about the health department. And I want to make sure that those sort of things, that information gets out and people learn about them, truly learn about them. So I could come back on a show like yours and tell you about these departments and give people the opportunity to have confidence that their tax dollars are going to things that actually have a benefit to them and are not just being squandered. So I think just as one supervisor, you have an opportunity to kind of shed some light on many things that I think are not really exposed right now. Going back to the others, so you really do need to have three votes of a five-member board to pass anything. And so if I just came in with just me, John Crookshank, the guy coming in saying, this is how it's done, I'm not going to get anything done. Like, I will have one vote, and I will never get anything done. So that's not how you work in a system like that. Yes, there's certain things I probably are more conservative in regards to. I would certainly like to see less taxes. I would certainly like to see less government regulations, less eviction moratoriums, less minimum wage laws. There's many things that I would personally like to see, but I would venture to guess that probably at least the three others, maybe the fourth, don't necessarily see things the same way. So it's up for me to find ways to work with them to find uh, common ground where we can get majority votes or even five-nothing votes where we start to move things correctly in a way that helps everyone within Los Angeles County, not just people of certain parties or race or gender. That doesn't matter. All that thing, tribalism is killing us. We need to end tribalism. What we need in LA County is to listen to all 100% of the people and to be able to represent people equally all across the board. It doesn't matter about their politics. We want to do what is right for LA County, and I believe that I'll start bringing that thought process back to every one of the decisions that we're bringing. And every time we talk about a decision where I feel it's important to speak out against it or for it or moderate the discussion, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be up there with the other four supervisors and I'm going to be able to voice an opinion. And for me, it's 30 years of running a business, being an engineer, being a former mayor, being a third generation LA County resident, and, and being someone that I believe we have a responsibility to be fiscally prudent with the tax dollar. So was there a time that or a reason that you decided to do this? It was back in December of 2022 that I ultimately decided and I started to run. I actually filed for office in January of 2023. And the reason that I did that was because a few things. First of all, I, I'm going to be term limited out uh, from the city council this coming year, 2024. And I really enjoy public service. And there are many different offices that I could pursue or I could just, you know, do something and retire and just off into the sunset, but that's not in my nature because I actually do love running my engineering company. So it was a big decision because becoming a Los Angeles County Supervisor is definitely a full-time job. Like I mentioned, you have a very large budget, a huge responsibility, and so it is a full-time job. And, and so since I've been campaigning uh, for about a year now, it's, it has taken a tremendous amount of strain on my business. I've had to probably cut back uh, my hours by at least 60, 70 percent uh, that I would normally put toward my business. Thank God I have some amazing employees that have really stepped up and have helped 
uh, fill in the voids where I haven't been there. But it still has been a strain. Uh, but honestly, it's worth every second of it. Um, I love the county. I believe that politicians uh, that run for office need to do hard work. They need to go meet people. They need to hear the hard messaging that you hear when you're knocking on doors and people answer and they were just watching whatever they were just watching, MSNBC or Fox News or whatever they're just watching that gets their blood pressure up. And then they come out and they take it out on you as someone knocking on their door with a friendly face. And uh, that's good. I mean, you, you get to hear everything. And so in the fourth district, there's 32 cities. And every one of those cities are unique. And I'm trying to go to all of them and to meet people in all of them. And I, the things I hear are just terrific. So yes, it's hard work. Yes, you talk to many different groups of people. But it needs to be hard work. Because if you don't do that hard work, you're not prepared for our audience to understand this better, because a lot of people that watch the show, they care about California. What is in the public service that makes it interesting? So there's a, a lot that goes on behind the scenes if, you know, as a, someone that's an elected official. And um, some of the things that happen, so a lot of, so here's an example. So every day we get people emailing and calling us as council members with issues in, in our city. And, and many of those issues are very technical issues. It could be a traffic safety issue. It could be a public safety issue. And the wonderful thing about our city is that we not only have a city manager that cares as deeply as the council does, but he's brought in his team people that care. And so what people don't understand or see all the time, which is great, is that we have a bunch of staff that they take these issues and they get back to people very quickly on what they're going to do to solve the problems. And the thing about government is it, it takes a long time for things to happen. Changes, like changes in laws or ordinances, those take a long time. But some things don't take a long time. Like if someone says, you know, there, a branch has fallen in front of my tree, we'll get people right out there to take care of it. And, and so people don't realize that really the council has nothing to do with that. I give all the credit to the people that work for the city. They're there 40 plus hours a week. And so that's the thing that is really great is that, yeah, you have the politician's face and, hey, I'm going to do this and that. But really, 99% of the things that get done are by the either the, in the county's case, the 115,000 people that work there. Or in our case, our city has 110 employees. We only have 110 employees. But these are people that day to day just take care of the minutia and keep things going. And government is just about that, to make sure that we're meeting the needs of uh, everyone's everyday life. And so there is a lot of, they call it sausage making, a lot of just you know, minutia that goes on. It's not all this big picture stuff. It's all these little things that matter. And so I think one of the important things for me about, about politics and being as elected official is you get these problems that seem so enormous and you can break them into smaller bits and you can solve these little bits and then you eventually solve the big problem and that's what I really enjoy doing is that you don't have to try to take on the world every day like every day is just a little problem you could take on and as long as you know what the goal should be which is happiness to the taxpayer and happiness to our residents then you're meeting and fulfilling those goals. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? My thoughts are that I think we should always be hopeful. I'm a glass half full person. There's so many great people out there. I think that we're just, unfortunately, we're sometimes afraid to, to say what's on our mind and speak up. And I think 
all of us, and I don't care what your opinion is, I say that this year, 2024, we all make it a point to speak our minds, don't be afraid to be who we are, laugh at ourselves, and understand that it's all of us individually that make up this wonderful place that we call Los Angeles County. And so for me, I just get excited every day when I know that I look at my calendar and I, I see there's a different group of people I'm meeting and, and get to hear from and, and uh, get a chance to tell them my thoughts. And sometimes people push back and say, hey, that doesn't sound like it'll work. And sometimes, you know what, they're right. Sometimes I have thoughts that aren't always fully vetted and fully thought through. And the great thing about us humans is we can say we are wrong and we can correct it and we can come up with better solutions. We don't always have to act like we're right. I'm certainly not, I'm a fallible person. I just want what's best for LA County and um, you know, having this opportunity to speak to you today has been awesome. John Cruikshank, Mayor of Rancho Palos Verde, it was great to have you on California Insider. Oh boy, it's been terrific being with you today and having an opportunity to speak to you and your audience, it's been a real honor. If you haven't checked out CaliforniaInsider.com, we highly recommend you do that now because we're going to have a lot of news and videos there. And on top of what we have there right now, we're building a really big platform to cover what's happening in California. So you can be informed. We're going to have more shows, more videos from all aspects of life in California. Go to CaliforniaInsider.com and we'll see you there. <laughs>